welcome to Room 14. This is the Room 14 podcast. My name is Matt and I'm your host. I am also an alcoholic. I had an idea for a podcast in which I would host people I meet in the community of recovery and record their story. The idea is that someone listening may relate to one of these stories and reach out for help. I'm not a professional podcaster. I started with an iPad and an idea, and I only want to help people in need. Though this show isn't associated with AA, NA, or any other organization, I have chosen to keep my guests anonymous. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, welcome to episode 7. This is the story of Dennis S. Dennis went from a sip of beer with his father as a child to later in life an everyday scotch drinker. When he began to have issues with rage, he decided it was time to look into help. Though this guest has been sober for 40 years and living mere blocks from me, we didn't end up meeting each other until I started a 6 a.m. A meeting right here in room 14. Um, super happy to have him on the show today. Uh, he's got a lot of great things to say. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Dennis S. Hey, hey, hey. Here's a, another episode of the Room 14 podcast. Uh, this is your host, Matt, and I am an alcoholic. Um, Today, we have a good friend of mine, uh, Dennis. Welcome, Dennis. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing good, Matt. Uh, Dennis has graciously agreed to go ahead and do an episode with us. Um, um, How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. My feet are cold, but um, that's normal. Actually, mine are too. (laughs) Um, Not not figuratively. Um, Anyway... um, Tell us about a little bit about yourself. Well, just going to start out <clears throat> kind of plain and simple. You know, I was born and raised here in Lincoln. I've lived in a couple of other towns throughout Nebraska throughout, you know, my career, uh, which is emergency medical services. Uh, this year I'm celebrating 50 years in it, 50 years involved in it. And uh, it's, <laughs> you know, to quote a line from a Grateful Dead album, what a long, strange trip it's been. Nice. But, uh, yeah, my family's here. I live here now, and uh, I have uh, pretty much retired out of my career, or semi-retired. I still do some work here, but it's mainly uh, on-call as needed. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Is that, that also in what, what line? Oh, that's in funeral. I've been working in the funeral industry since I you know, stepped down from you know, full-time work. Uh, about, uh, let's see, 16 years I've been with uh, this funeral home. That's a long, that's a long time working. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, we are here, right? Because uh, you you have recovered from some some affliction, right? Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I am I am a recovering alcoholic. Um, I got sober. You know, my last drink is uh, November eleventh, uh, nineteen eighty two. So you know, this year, it, this if I make it to November, it will be. 41 years. Wow. And I can always remember my sobriety date because my oldest daughter 
will is going to be turning 41 this year too. So you know when she turns 41, I know that you know my sobriety birthday is coming up on that day too. Um, and uh, you know I at first with my sobriety day because of the type of alcoholic that I was, I don't at that time I could not really quite remember when my sobriety date was. I just remembered I just was not drinking. But when I finally was, you know, in treatment and was working on myself, <clears throat> trying to, you know, to, you know, learn as much as I can, I went to my dad and I talked with him and, uh, you know, his birth date is November 11th. And I asked him if I could share his birth date as my sobriety birth date. And he was quite honored to let me do that. And I was happy that he did because that's one thing that, uh, you know, my dad and I then can share together is just our birth dates, whether it be sobriety or belly button. That's actually, that's actually a great story. And, you know, of all the time, of all the meetings I've been in with you, uh, I don't think I remember that. Um, I may have said, mentioned it or said it at one time, you know, probably around maybe one of my birthdays. I don't remember, you know. That's very cool. I mean, and and I I assume that's that's something you you wouldn't want to give up. Um, <laughs> I mean, regardless of how many years, um, and it, it, pardon me, but um, you usually use a a little expression sometimes when somebody has a pretty large amount of uh, of sobriety. What what is that one? That's oh, uh, I don't. I, I don't know about the large but, amount of sobriety, but when somebody has a birthday, you know, and they tell what it is, no matter what it is on the amount of sobriety they have, I said, you know, one of the old timers from my time period when I first came in would always say, you know, would say, congratulations, happy birthday. That's a nice chunk of change. That's the one I was looking for. You know, and, and it's just for. letting you know, you know, for me, it's just telling that person, you know, that's, that's good. You're, you're, you're gaining some sobriety. And it just takes little bits. It's just one day, you know, that you're 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 sober. Nice. <coughs> wow. Excuse me. Um, so, what, could you tell us a little bit about your um, drinking career? I, actually, my drinking actually started when I was quite young, because uh, uh, growing up in the '60s, you know, uh, it was nothing for me to take a sip off my dad's beer every once in a while. He'd offer it to me, and you know, and he would, uh, you know, he, he would just let me have maybe just one sip. But, you know, I graduated more from sips and getting in band and some beer and some Dixie cups until I got to the point to uh, where I was in my teens and I was drinking full cans of beer. Um, so, you know, it started out that way, you know, and it just progressed on that, you know, once I got to the cans and even though... I was still under the age, uh, legal age of drinking, which at that time period was 19. I, I from that era, uh, it was nothing for me to get a hold of beer, buy beer, get a hold of beer, or you know, whatever my real liquor of choice or desire at that time was. We always had it in the house, you know, um, and you know that's you know really just kind of how it started out was just, you know, my first sip of that beer, I, I liked it. And it just gradually from the beer just progressed up. <clears throat> My drink of choice has always been scotch, uh, neat. Yeah, for those of you who understand what the term neat means, that means uh, no ice. 
you know, um, and that's what I was drinking, you know, toward the end uh, before I went into treatment was 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 scotch. <clears throat> um, so your family was they were drinkers? Were they were they problem drinkers? Uh, my father, I do not consider him to be a problem drinker. Yeah, he had a drink, but you know, he would sip where I really wasn't at that point of sipping. You know, I was, I was gulping. Uh, it does go back because his father died of the disease of alcoholism. He, and he was an alcoholic. I never met my grandfather on my father's side. Uh, he, quite honestly, he committed suicide mm. because of the disease of alcoholism. And he died way before my mom and dad were ever married, so I never had the opportunity to meet him. I see. So, you know, <clears throat> there is that history, there's that family history of it. Going further back from my grandfather, I don't know of anybody then, but, you know, at least I know that it's, for lack of a better term, skipped a generation, and it has, and it did afflict me. Nice. Um, would, uh, would you care to share any of your other experiences during your time drinking? I, just a lot of the craziness that I would do, you know. Uh, I always like telling the story of when <clears throat> this was, you know, toward the end of my drinking when, you know, I was not married at the time and I was working uh, third shift and which is 11 at night to seven in the morning and uh, I'd get off shift at seven o'clock in the morning. There were bars open in Lincoln at you know, six, sometimes six, seven o'clock. So yeah, I very rarely would I really go there, but on occasions I would whenever, you know, a couple of us, you know, from work, you know, decided to have one. But I'd go home, I'd, you know, start drinking. Then I'd go to bed. And then I would uh, get up in the afternoons, evenings, times, start fixing some dinner, start getting ready for, you know, the rest of my day, work and everything. And I was drinking, getting a drink ready while I was fixing dinner. And, uh, you know, that what I was doing was I was just on a merry-go-round constantly. That alcohol was always there as a part of my life, <clears throat> a part of what I was doing on an everyday basis, practically. Even on the days when I was off shift and was not working, had the time off, I'd still be just doing the same things. I would always... You know, prepare dinner, I'd be drinking, I'd have drinks after dinner, just, you know, as I'm sitting back watching a movie or doing something, or even going out on dates, so I'd always, you know, have a drink there. Would I be drunk? Well, I'd be under the influence of it, I'd have that buzz feeling, which, you know, I was drunk, but, uh, you know, and I had a few blackouts here and there. Uh, but, you know, my life was, you know, basically, I was a home drinker for the most part. Um, my apartment that I had at the time, I had aluminum foil on the windows, but that was, you know, I always said that's because I worked nights and I wanted to minimize the lights, but my feeling in, inside was my worthlessness that I didn't want people looking in on me and I didn't want to be looking out at them. So, you know, that uh, I would just keep myself sheltered in place, as I, uh, as I would call it, you know, and. Uh, you know, there's so much that I can relate to, you know, uh, there in that time period of just, you know, the darkness. Not only was it dark when I went to work, it would be dark when I get home, but just the darkness within my life at that time. Wow.
Wow. Um, so what would you say your, your bottom was? Well, by this time I was, I was married. Uh, my wife and I, we just had our oldest daughter. She was, like I said, you know, she's turning 41 this year. Um, it was just one of those where uh, life for me at the time was unacceptable. Life on life's terms was unacceptable. I was not happy where I was. I was not happy who I was. I was looking for a way out. Now, I may not have had a conscious thought of, of killing myself, but I'm sure that that thought was buried back in the back of my mind. But hurting myself just so I could have some time to be down and relax and try to figure out what I was trying to do. Uh, I just relied more upon, you know, trying to bury those feelings, try to to numb the emotions I was having. And uh, it uh, was just becoming more and more and more of a, a struggle and a battle, uh, just trying to deal with life on life's terms. So, um, so what happened? The night that I have some vague memories of, you know, that uh, uh, I had was drinking, fixing dinner, but unfortunately, uh, I had burnt dinner, and I went on a rage. And my wife grabbed our daughter, and they left the house. Went over to my parents' house. Now my dad had dealt with his dad with his drinking, so he ended up coming over, and we just had some verbal altercations, you know, and talking back and forth. And I, I shouldn't say talking, I should say yelling back and forth at each other. But, you know, he got me calmed down. And uh, that's when I realized I got to do something about myself because I, I am not right. But it was more in my mind that I was having psychological problems, not alcohol problems. I was looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, being mentally unstable. I was, you know, started seeing a psychiatrist at that time. Was it helping? Yeah, I was finding out a few things here and there, but I had a psychiatrist who uh, had connections with the Independence Center here in Lincoln, and he says, well, let's do an evaluation. Let's, you know, take a look at, you know, your drinking here, too, because it seems like it's a reoccurring factor at times. And... I was receptive. I, w I had willingness at that time because I says, I'm not right. And uh, I went in and took the test, did the evaluation. And the next thing I know, they said, independent told me, they said, yeah, we got a spot for you. Come on in. And uh, that's, and, you know, that's when it was just, you know, my beginning of my recovery was about that time period. I knew I needed help. I just was still unsure at that time what it was. But it was just another door to go through to see who I was and what I am. I see. So, um, so you went to treatment, and um, then I assume that led you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, did. Am I right? Yeah, did. I, you know, because one of the requirements when we were in treatment, at least, <clears throat> we had to go to uh, one meeting a week as a group which we did, and then we had to at least go to one other meeting on our own during, during, our, during our own time. And uh, so I, I continued to do that. And when I left treatment, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I came out, you know, they, for lack of a better term, graduated me. I was graduated. 
And I still had in the back of my mind just, you know, like, am I really an alcoholic? Well, what I had learned in treatment, and I started to continue to go to AA, you know, the AA meetings, and I found uh, some meetings I really did enjoy, and I felt like I was getting something out of it. It just took me a while because I knew this was helping. I still had that question in my mind, and it took me a little bit of time before I could really, from my heart, say I was an alcoholic. You know, I could say it from my brain, you know, that I'm an alcoholic. Uh, it just took me some time before the realization came through. When I was able to do that, and that's probably a few months down the road of going to meetings. I knew I was getting something out of the meeting. I knew I was getting something out of my sponsor that I had. That I had. And I knew that this is working for me. I just can't explain it, but it is working for me. And so I just continued to. And, and when I finally was able to you know, say from my heart that I am an alcoholic, I'm Dennis, I'm an alcoholic, that's when really recovery for me started in. And that's when I started learning much, much more about what is beyond the book and in the book and, you know, in my recovery and uh, still continues through to this day. Still learning. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you were um, referring to as the book? Uh, this is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is labeled for that. I have uh, the third edition. I know the fourth edition is out there. The fifth edition, I'm sure, is probably coming out here at some time. I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, that was the first book that I had back in 1982. This is probably my second copy, but as you know, you can see with my book, I've got markings, I got bookmarks, I got dog ear pages, I got duct tape holding the cover together. So it's been well, well utilized. And this is also a gift from one of my sponsors because. He gave me a book to utilize, and this is when I was living in Kearney. And he got it from a meeting that he was had chaired in McCook, Nebraska. And he gave it to me to utilize because I had lost my book for a little bit. Well, he passed away, and I told his widow that I still have his book. And she says, I'm sure he'd want you to keep it. So, you know, I have, you know, his name in there and my name in, in my big book, too. And I just re I, I remember Joe every once in a while. And, uh, you know, I use the big book. I use the 24-hour-a-day book as part of my recovery. I am not a scholar of the book. I don't care for reading. But I will. this is one book that I will sit down that uh, I will read a couple pages here and there. I do keep in the book, plus going to a big book meeting keeps me into the book and keeps me reading it because every once in a while I'll read something and I have to say to myself, now I know I've read this thing, book a dozen times or more and I have to ask myself, when did they put that in there? I don't remember that being a part of it, but it was something that, you know, God put in there that I needed to see at the time. <laughs> All of that is great stuff. I, uh, I, I don't think I knew that about your book. Um, <clears throat> that's obviously a, a yeah obviously a very uh, good sentimental reason for holding on to that book um what um is there a person in uh your sorry your recovery community that you look up to the ones that i looked up that i looked up to uh have passed away mm. i remember them very well, 
They both, both of them were part of the meeting that I helped start. There were five of us that started a meeting. <clears throat> two of them have passed away, and the other two have moved away, but I still continue to, you know, go to that meeting. I think about these gentlemen from time to time. Uh, we just recently lost one uh, this last December. Uh, the other gentleman, uh, we lost him earlier in the year, last year in 2022. Uh, those are, you know, do I, you know, I, I admire them because their sobriety that they had, and they would, when they would speak, I would listen because they would always, you know, have something to say that I would need to hear from time to time. I'd always, one of them, one of the gentlemen who just recently passed away, and I told them that there are times where you have said something and it has made me mad. But I have learned that when you have made me mad, it's something that I need to look at myself within me. And they were right. He was right whenever, you know, uh, that uh, I would get mad. It was something I needed to learn. And, uh, you know, those are two gentlemen that I, you know, I, I will dearly, dearly miss. Loved them. Uh, other than that, just a lot of the early old timers that were uh, there when I first came in. I remember them fondly because they were gruff. They were, they <laughs> They told you the way it was, and they didn't sugarcoat it. You know, they they would say, they they would not ask me or suggest me to do things. They tell me to do things, but I had enough that I had learned from them that I, uh, they see something that I am not seeing, and I need to do it. You know, and uh, didn't understand it at first when I would do that, but I just realized that these gentlemen have more sobriety than I do, and they're still here. I want to be here too and, you know, learn from them. So, you know, the, some of them I remember fondly. In fact, my, that phrase, that's a nice chunk of change, comes from uh, one of those guys. I mean, I, 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 I assume there's, there's no problem with, with mentioning their first names if you'd like. Uh, yeah, well, this is, that was, you know, the, the gentleman who would always say, you know, that's a nice chunk of change whenever we'd have birthday, that was Dr. Bob York. He has since passed on. Uh, Ralph Fox is another one. He started the Houses of Hope here in Lincoln. Uh, is another one that uh, was there when I came into the program. Um, many others, some of them are still alive right now, so you know I, I won't mention their full names, but they're a part of it. But I'm realizing now that the old-timers I looked on, here at 40 years, I'm all of a sudden being looked upon as an old-timer, and that's kind of an unsettling feeling to have at times. When I have people look at me and they say, wow, I, I want to be like you. And I just tell them, just continue doing what you're doing. And, you know, listen to your sponsor like I listen to mine. Hey, this is a, this is a brand new question um, that I just thought of. There's a, there's a, a younger woman that, that attends the meetings that you and I do. Um, and she said one day in a meeting that uh, she wants to someday be known for an expression, you know, she wants, she wants people to say, well, like Kate, or like Katie M says, um, yeah, I almost, I almost caught myself, but, um, yeah, obviously. Well, we know who you're talking about. Well, you and I do. Well, and, and, and it's still anonymous because I oh, used her yeah. first name, but, um, and, and 
obviously she's done a recording too so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hopefully some of you uh, might already be so if you're listening Katie KDM. yes we are picking on you at yes. this time so um, but she wanted wants to be known uh, for you know she wants people to say hey um, like Katie M says yada yada um, uh, what is it that oh she she quoted one of mine or or one that I just recently conjured up within the last year or so is, uh, you know, when new things come out, some of the new seltzers and some of that stuff, you know, and when I'm thinking in my mind, what does that taste like? Well, I, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that that tastes like relapse. (laughs) That tastes like misery. Um, that's what it tastes like. Um, what, what, what expression do you think, do you have one that you, you've coined? I don't think I've really had one that I've coined. I, I will take a lot of what I have learned in the past and use those. You know, like nice chunk of change, you know. Uh, there's another gentleman, I've used his phrase a number of times, if you want more, do more. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they're just things like that. It's just, I'm recycling what I've learned in the past because they have helped me. Keep, you know, keep my sobriety at least for the day, too. Uh, nice. So I really haven't got anything that I've personally coined uh, in recovery. I, I, you know, I, I can't think of anything. Well, thought I'd give it a shot. Yeah, see well. What, see what we could come <laughs> up with. Um, now, um, you've, you've heard me talk about this in the past. Um, and I, I, I've posed this one to everybody that's recorded with me so far. After my first year of sobriety, I expected things to be better than they were at that point. Um, you know, my alcohol problems were gone. But in the end, I, I had issues with the person I, I was, you know. Um, did you have any challenges that you encountered in recovery that you didn't count on? Um, yeah, I have, you know. Uh, some good challenges, that have helped me and some that I've had to take a look at because not only am I a recovering alcoholic, but I also suffer from depression and post-traumatic stress syndrome because of my career and a lot of the things that I have experienced uh, in in those lines too. Uh, So, you know, I've had to struggle with that constantly too. You know, I still have my good days, my bad days with the depression and post-traumatic stress. But I'm also, you know, from the book when it says, you know, that there are things that we cannot do alcohol-wise because we're dealing with other issues, going to other professionals is appropriate for you to do to take care of yourself. You know, I've been under psychiatric cares, under the psychologist care. I have been on medication for depression and my post-traumatic stress. I am not on any right now, which I'm very grateful for. But I also realize that if my life starts becoming unmanageable to the point I can't deal with it, I know that that is available to me when I, you know, with dealing with that and going back and seeing my therapist and my psychologist to help me out. One of the things I have said, and you've heard me say this in the meeting too, you know, you know, when I when I first got sober, I just thought I was crazy. I just thought it was the, you know, my life is unmanageable. And they took in and found, you know, took in into treatment, found out that I had alcoholism. And it was, when I started looking at it more and more, I just realized that the disease of alcoholism and the disease of mental illness 
they walk hand in hand and they do with me. You know, and these are issues that I deal with and I deal with daily. You know, God's taken away my compulsion, the desire to, to drink, but I'm still an alcoholic. And I know that I'm just one drink away from my next drunk. I also know that when I'm starting to feel those effects from depression, that there are things I need to do to, you know, start helping to get myself through it. And I constantly do. And it's constantly, you know, for me, my alcoholism and my depression, if I continue to keep in contact with my higher power, keep in contact with my sponsor, uh, keep in contact in AA, and I talk about these things, you know, maybe I don't need to go back to my therapist, my psychologists, but if I have to, and I am not getting any relief, I know that I have that available to me. That is <clears throat> um, a great outlook. Um, I, th I think so many of us are unwilling to maybe um, concede. I mean, obviously, that we not only that we had a problem with alcoholism, that, that we have other problems that we need somebody else's help with. So um, that, that is a, a great point, Dennis. I'm glad that um, I'm glad that you steered it that way. Um, here's a biggie, okay? Um, Twelve-step recovery programs, all of them, no matter what it is, the higher power is off, often a difficult part of recovery for a lot of people, um, but it's also said to be a necessary part. Do you find this to be the case with your recovery? I, I've always had a belief that there is a power greater than myself, and I'm going to put it that way. I call my higher power God, but I believe there is, there is a power. There's an entity out there. I can't explain it, but there is something out there that I, you know, will talk to. I know they will listen to me. And a lot of times, even if I'm just talking to them, I'm feeling better about, you know, where I am in my life. I do believe that there is that power greater than myself. And again, I can't explain what it is, you know, because, you know, my background is in sciences, health sciences and everything. And I, I, and I look at things differently. I have to have answers on these things. But this is something I can't answer. What is God? You know, I was watching a television program last night and they were describing about um, the chemical and physiological makeup of how the earth started and everything. And they're taking it from a standpoint I was understanding, but uh, I, in my mind, I was thinking back to my relationship with my higher power, with God, and saying, but there had to be something that helped put these things out there so that these elements would come together to develop into what we have. What that is, I don't know. You know, I've always had that belief in God. I've always had my faith in God. My faith has wavered up and down from time to time just based upon my experiences and my the work that I have that I have done and continue to do. Uh, but I always had that belief that uh, you know there is God there. My faith is stronger today than what it was when I was before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. So God is a a struggle for me, but I think God, my God that I relate to, uh, I have a better feeling with that than what I used to have. 
uh, and I'm trying to find a couple words right now, but I can't figure out what words I'm trying to put together. But uh, it's a struggle, but it's not a struggle like it has been. Yeah, <clears throat> obviously I have some insight with you because I've been in quite a few uh, AA meetings. Um, would Would you elaborate on some of your issues you've had with God, with religion, with... Yeah, I... Because I think so many other yeah, people we have. <laughs> we so do, many yeah. people have. You know, yeah, I... <coughs> I think a lot of it, you know, with my... Uh, with, with religion, with organized religion with me is the structure that some of them have. To where it is a, you're either with us or you're against us attitude. And that's what is, that's what comes across. It's not a perception on my part that this is what I'm seeing. It is what I'm actually getting from the people that are involved in this religion. Is that, uh, you know, that it is my way or the highway. There is no other. I've had other people explain to me and talk to me and they say, well, you're not praying to the right God. And I have no idea what that means because I can't explain to what God, what God is, what that entity is. And, uh, you know, I've never been one that has been a, a believer when strong religious faith or not, you know, a religious organization. I have a Methodist minister friend of mine, and he and I have known each other for a number of years. He, he in a lot of ways, will think like I do. <clears throat> and he's not an alcoholic, he's, but he is a very wise and very spiritual man that I do, you know, look to, you know, for guidance. And, he, and I, I told him, I says, you know, I look at organized religions, they're like a business. That's what they are. They're, in my opinion, they're a business. The product they sell is faith. And with a number of people, they need to be a part of that business because they're looking for that faith. They're looking in for, for that there. Uh, and, and, you know, I, and he agreed with me. He says, yeah, if you look, think about it from that respect, it is. It is a business. That's what we're selling is faith. You know, and, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not one to go to church. I never really have been. You know, yeah, I was, I was raised in the church of, you know, my parents and uh, my family. Uh I was married in a different church to my wife, but she is like me. You know, we do have our faith. We do have our spirituality, but we don't believe a lot of times that we really have to go to a building and organization to continue that. You know, again, I go back to a God of my understanding, and that's what I hold on to, because the God of this religious group in this organization Sometimes I wonder where they come up with that concept, but it's not one that works for me. And that's what I want is, you know, God works with me, through me, uh, and I have my own personal relationship with God. And if I wouldn't have read that, you know, line, you know, that, that section in the book, the big book about Flex Anonymous, how Abby, when talking to Bill, Bill Wilson, and he described about, well, telling Bill, well, why don't you find a concept of, you know, of God of your own? That made sense to me, much more than somebody else's perception.
that they're saying this is the only way to be with God. That was an out, outstanding answer. Um, we've talked a little bit about your current family. We've talked about a little bit about your family, sorry. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about fa- your family. Could you elaborate on what your family's like now and how alcohol operates? I mean, not operates, but how alcohol is involved mm-hmm. with the members of your family? Well, both of my parents are gone. Um, my dad died in 2000 to pancreatic cancer. My mother died in 2015 from uh, effects from the disease of Alzheimer's. They, you know, drank, but, you know, not to any extent. They were very, very loving, caring parents. We, we never went without my sister. I have two, I'm the oldest, and I have two younger sisters, you know, and, um, uh, Drinking has always been there, but it was never an important part of anything that we really ever did. Um, with my uh, my with my current with my wife and my children, the same thing. Of course, my my I have three daughters, and none of them ever saw me drunk. Never, none of them ever saw me take a drink, because my uh, oldest daughter was like about six months old by when I went into treatment, so they never had that. My wife, on the other hand, had seen me drunk, and it had helped me a couple of times when I got real sick from the disease. And uh, she is also one that was not really a drinker at all. Uh, I always made the joke about her, and I said, you know, my wife is the type of person that she drinks in one year that I'd be drinking in maybe a couple of hours. Yeah. The amount there. And alcohol has never been a problem with her life, you know, in her life, and with her growing up either. Um, <clears throat> my sisters and their families right now, yeah, they drink. They have alcohol whenever we gather with family functions around, but they also have other things available to those of us who don't drink. Because not all of us in the family drink, or we don't drink to excessive. You know, it's there, it's available. Other things are there. Uh, available too but when we gather as a family we're there for family we are not there to drink gotcha you know and uh you know we've had to make a lot of changes over the years because my family has grown my i have two daughters that are married they have children my two sisters they've got their children and their families are starting to grow my my middle sister, Katie, she just became a grandparent for the grandmother for the first time. Oh, wow. You know, I've I've got at least 11 years of experience of that, you know, because my oldest granddaughter is 11 years old. Born on Christmas Day. Oh, I didn't, I don't, if I knew that, My oldest granddaughter was born on Christmas Day. And, uh, yeah, we spent, we didn't spend the typical Christmas Day that year. Ours was always, you know, ours was in the hospital waiting, yeah. waiting for her to be, waiting for uh, her to be, uh, to arrive. That's but, a you gift, know, we, huh? we, we, but, you know, with them, even with my kids, and, you know, if the alcohol, alcohol's around, but it's not a part of the reasons that we gather. Is there drinking? You know, my two son-in-laws and my daughters drink, uh, but it's not really... You know, it's it's just something. It's just a part of the celebration for them. <clears throat> they you know, we're not there to drink. We're to celebrate family, and that's what we do. 
Okay. Um, so knowing all that, um, and obviously you said, um, other things are provided when you're at, at events for people that are non-drinkers. In what other ways do you feel you're supported by your family? In your recovery. In my recovery? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that part there, like my, my sisters, you know, they always make sure, well, they, like me, are heavy <clears throat> coffee drinkers, too, so it's kind of like, we always got the coffee going. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, at home, right now, our daughters are all out on their own. <clears throat> Youngest daughter, uh, she moved out uh, while, uh, you know, some, some years back. Uh, she is an RN now, so, you know, she works. So it's right now, it's just my wife and I, and my wife's mother is living with us. Alcohol is not a problem, but one of the things that, you know, they've always said that, you know, to me is you do what you need to do to help yourself today, whether that be, you know, physical problem, you know, issues that I'm having or my recovery issues that I, you know, I may be struggling with at the time or mental health issues that I'm struggling with at the time. I've always said, you know, my wife has never directly says, well, why don't you go to a meeting? She would always look at me whenever I'd be one of my moods. Yeah. When was the last time you were at a meeting, she'd say. In other words, she'd plant the seed. And, uh, you know, I would take it from there. You know, uh, the groups that I go to, they know that I'm, for lack of a better term, semi-retired. I don't go to work every day anymore. I just go in uh, on call as needed. So... Uh, I live by the phone, you know, and I'm, I've got a lot of freedom to where I've been going to meetings every day. And that's something that I really am enjoying, you know, and they're supporting me of it. They just, every once in a while say, well, why don't you sleep in? Because you're always getting up early in the morning to go to a meeting. And, uh, you know, they, you know, but they are probably happy that I am going to a meeting and uh, that I'm taking care of myself and doing what I need to do. You know, I still talk to my sponsor, and we use the technology. He doesn't use the phone as much anymore, and I don't use the phone. We're, we're texting back and forth. That's fine. We're in communication, but if we really needed to talk, which we have had to do, is we're on the phone. We're talking to each other on that. I've got others that I, guys that I sponsor to, and it's kind of that way. It's, it's texting and emailing, because uh, one of them lives out of the country right now, but he keeps in touch with me on that and I'm um, looking forward to seeing him he's going to be coming back because the country he's in he's got to leave for a certain amount of time period every year and he always makes a trip back here to Lincoln nice <clears throat> nice so you went ahead and you said uh, your drink of choice today is <laughs> coffee or Diet Coke I've been cutting back on the coffee and the Diet Coke and drinking a lot more water though oh really well, I'm getting older, and I just realized that, you know, you know, I read an article the other day in, the, in AARP that they said that, you know, for brain activity, coffee's a good, you know, something is good to drink. And so, you know, okay, but do I need to go to through two to three pots a day of coffee? No, <laughs> I don't need to do that. Coffee's still probably my number one beverage of choice right now. Nice. Well, I think a lot even of people, in the summer months, <laughs> I think a lot of people in the rooms it is. I mean, mm -hmm. it's available. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, there was something. I, oh, I know what it, 
one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, there's, um, um, some people have their own little out of the box thing or yeah, out of the box things that, uh, they do with their recovery. I mean, uh, obviously we're recording a podcast right now Mm -hmm. and, um, there's, there's actually quite a few, um, AA or NA or other recovery related podcasts out there. There really is. Um, but, uh, and, and, and I, and I choose to listen to a a few podcasts and I'm just going to take the time real quick to give a shout out to, uh, the recovered cast. Um, I think Mark does an excellent job on that cast. But, uh, and I've kind of want, wanted to give him a shout out. But um, is there anything out of the box that you do that, you know, you don't know a lot of other people that do to enhance your recovery, to to help you? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I really have anything, you know. Uh, I find myself a lot of times <clears throat> when the phone rings and I'm going down on a call. That I, you know, I'm saying some prayers, and I'm finding that, you know, a lot of times throughout the day, I have something that I'm a challenge that I'm facing, that uh, you know, I find myself probably praying to God for wisdom and strength, and asking for wisdom, strength, and guidance, much more often because I don't know a lot of times when I'm going out on a call, totally what I'm going to face. There are some of them that are kind of, you know, cut and dried. I know what to expect. But when I, there are times where, you know, we get those calls that, uh, a traffic accident, we don't know what, I don't know what the, the, the deceased is going to look like. Um, and I've been called out on shootings, hangings, and other things that I don't know. I, you know, I will, what, I don't know what I'm going to be coming across. Those are the time periods when I know I'm heading to a call like that that I say those prayers and I ask God, I need help, wisdom, strength, and guidance, you know, on this so I can do what needs to be done. And I let God then just kind of, you know, take it from there. As to any of the little things, I'm, like I said, I'm not a scholar of the book. I don't read the book. Uh, I find a lot of times, you know, for help in my sobriety, it's just finding something that relaxes me, Mm. you know, um, I listen to music a lot. Um, I'm very eclectic when it comes to music. I, I'll listen to any, anything. I'm not, you know, I don't listen that much to like country. Uh, I don't listen to, we were talking about Christian music here. I don't listen to Christian music that much. But, you know, I'll listen to, you know, rock. I'll listen to jazz. I'll listen to blues. I'll listen to Zydeco. I'll listen to, you know, uh, a fusion jazz. Uh, classical music too because we have some couple of good uh, classical public radio stations that are out there and then plus we also have a couple other radio stations that are very eclectic and you know we can listen to music from different countries you know and I find these a lot better activities to sit back and relax than sitting back with a glass of scotch movies are another thing I do enjoy Nice. I, I'm not a sports fan, so don't talk to me about Nebraska Cornhuskers or anything like that. I will yield to my wife on that, who is a big Cornhusker <laughs> fan. That's awesome. Um, 
you know, here, here's one that I kind of skipped over, um, on my, on my list. Um, what joys do you know in sobriety that you didn't count on? Things you didn't think that, think of that would come along. Well, sobriety and God have given me a lot of opportunities to try things that I never thought I could do. <clears throat> How many people do you know that uh, can say that they did weather on TV? I've done that. Was it something I was looking for? No, it kind of fell into place. God put something into place that I could do that was totally different than what I did do. And I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I've worked in radio. And I've been on the air, on radio. I've done a lot of public speaking. You know, um, I, you know, I still have those fears whenever I do public speaking out there. But, you know, nothing like what it would have been if I would have been, you know, under, the, under you know, a couple of drinks of scotch going in there. That would have been uh, good. No, yeah. They, you, know, <laughs> uh, who, you know, who knows what the lecture would have been about. Um, just being able to, you know, take on and try new things. Uh, you know, I, 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 I have found that I've been able to do a lot more things. I've cut back on a lot of things that, you know, I don't need to do anymore. But, you know, I still find things now and then that I do, you know, typically will enjoy doing. And it's something that's just new. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I enjoy the most, and this is when we're with family, is just sitting there and watching my grandkids and what they're doing, what, what fun they're having. And them coming over to me and just kind of, Grandpa, come over here, help me with this, you know, just little things like that. Or even my daughters come and say, hey, Dad, what do you think? You know, just thinking back on, you know, things like that, I may not have been able to experience those if, if I was would have been drinking still. I may not even be here making this recording with you if I would have been still drinking. Chances are I wouldn't have my yeah, I wouldn't have my wife. I someday's question why she still stays with me. <laughs> <laughs> she made the statement when she and I were joking around uh, one time. They says, "Why do you and I stay together?" And she just says, "Because nobody else wants us." Okay, <laughs> but you know, you know, we, you know, there's just the things that I could have lost that I didn't lose. You know, I, I cherish those. I know I have a lot of yets that I haven't had in that uh, that evaded me when I was drinking. But I know those yets are there that I, if I go back to drinking, I know that they probably will start in. Barry, there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, okay. I mean, um, is there anything else you want to touch on? I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. Okay. Um, well, you know, the reason we're here today, the reason we're doing this podcast at all is just to deliver a message of hope. Um, we're here to tell our stories in order to relate to a person who may be hopeless. Maybe we can inspire them to reach out for help. If you could speak to that person directly, what would you say to them right now? Oh... I think it has a lot to do with one of the chapters that if I take a meeting that I, uh, that I will read. And it's called A Vision for You. It's chapter 11, the first couple 
pages of that. Uh, there is hope, is the word I'm, I'm probably we're looking for, that there is hope there in recovery, that, you know, <laughs> I had the, the hope that I could find something, but I also had to be willing to, ta to take it on, to, tr you know, to work with it, you know, to, to make it uh, work for me. You know, recovery is something that is just not a one and done. You don't go to treatment and you don't grad and you graduate. You're not done. You don't do the twelve steps, and you're done. These are things that I constantly do every day, because I have the willingness to do them. Because I know if I don't do them, those yets that I talked about earlier that haven't happened to me when I was drinking, may start coming you know, into play. So if I'm to Say to anybody, there is hope. Just be willing to, you know, look at it and be open-minded about it instead of closed-minded as to what, what uh, answers are out there. Great stuff, Dennis. Um, lastly, if you could speak to the uh, drinking Dennis, that guy 43 years ago or what whatnot, you know, if you had the opportunity to talk to him, what would you say to him? What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe if I looked at the, the dentist that was drinking back then with the dentist that I am here today, I would look at him and say, there is hope for you. And you just need to get yourself picked up to where you can start getting the help that you, you know, you do need. You know, I can't make anybody go to treatment. I can't make anybody go, you know, you know, get sober. Uh, that is an individual's, you know, saying to themselves, I'm an alcoholic. I can't tell you you're an alcoholic, but I can say I'm an alcoholic and I'm here to help, you know, if you want the help. But it's that there, uh, the young Dennis that was drinking. I would, I, I know I look at him nowadays, and I have to think about. I probably had to go through those things to find what I have today, and that is, again, getting back to that hope. I, I always feel like there is always some hope out there. That there will be another day that there will be another day of sobriety, another day that I can sit back and pray to God and ask for, you know, wisdom, strength, and guidance. And he gives me that hope. Again, chapter 11, those first couple of pages. Wow. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, uh, today, today has been a, an excellent, um, excellent conversation. Um, I can't say enough about... Uh, um, the message that, that you carry, Dennis, it, it's been great. Um, if you, uh, if you'd like to give anybody a shout out, you're, you're more than welcome to <laughs> anybody you want to say hi to. I really don't have anybody that, uh, I can think of to do that to. Home group? Uh, my home group is principles before personalities, but secondary is the Thursday and the Saturday meetings here at Bethany. Room 14 right here, Room 6 a.m. Oh, yeah, 6 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> yes, I am up that early. <laughs> well, 
Well, folks, um, it's been great. It's been great um, having you, Dennis. Um, good to call you friend. Um, great to call you comrade in the rooms. Um, and uh, um, to be honest, Den Dennis has been a, a great uh, resource for my sobriety and uh, my recovery. Um, so I guess all, all there's left to say is uh, so long and have a great day. Matt, same to you. Thanks, Dennis. We'll see you. You are welcome. Well, there's Dennis S. Last week, I was able to celebrate 11 years of continuous sobriety, and Dennis presented me with an 11-year chip and some very kind words. I'm so happy to know him and to have his story on the show. Thank you, Dennis S., for everything. Good news, I checked the amount of plays we had while I was publishing this episode, and I have reached 100 exactly. Some may say that's not much. I'm thankful for every single play and every single one of you who has listened to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you to all the people that have listened and are supporting me through this journey. Where you listen to this show, please give us a rating and feel free to comment on this episode to help me get better. That's, that's, that's what I want. I want this show to be a great show for everybody to listen to and enjoy it. So reach out, help me out. If this story that you just listened to might have related to somebody in your life, please refer it to them. Maybe it will help them ask for the help they need. I'm in Nebraska, and the local Alcoholics Anonymous hotline is 1-877-792-1044. The National AA Crisis Hotline is 1-800-839-1686. If you know someone that is at risk of self-harm or in, other, in some other dire crisis, please text or call 988. This is a pretty new hotline that, uh, that they have created to, to make it much easier to get help that, that we need. Um, so don't, don't be afraid to use it. Um, remember, September is National Recovery Month. So live your life with joy and reach out for help. As always... Have a great day.